Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design with a little bit of zest. My name is James Quick, and I am a full-time content creator. Ooh, title change. I know. <laughs> Hello, my name is Amy Dutnett, and I'm the Director of Design at Zeal. And we are both super excited to have Kent C. Dodds on as a guest to talk about building better websites with Remix. Kent, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. You're both very pleasant people, and I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> it's the best compliment we've That's ever the, gotten. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the nicest intro we've ever gotten. Yes. We need to make that a requirement for, <laughs> um, for guests. They have to say something nice about us before we continue on with the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even at a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compress. Today, we have two fabulous sponsors with Hashnode and Daily.dev. Hashnode is a wonderful blogging platform that not only makes it easy to get a blog up and running quickly, but has a wonderful community that will get more eyeballs on your work faster, helping you grow your own community. And daily.dev is a browser extension that will help you stay up to date on all the latest and greatest news within the tech industry. It's very easy to install and recommendations are tailored specifically to you. So more from each of these sponsors later in the show. Uh, amazing. Well, Kent, I think the big focus will be Remix, obviously, and that's the central thing. But I'm kind of curious, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Like I know some of this from interviews that I've heard before, but especially on the content creation space and then leading into the decision to join Remix full time. Yeah, totally. So yeah, let's see. It was 2019. I left PayPal to become a full-time educator and I had just released testing javascript.com and that was really successful. And so I thought, I don't need a PayPal salary anymore. I'll just do this full-time. And so that first year I updated testing javascript.com and started working on like in earnest, my React workshops, which I'd been doing for years, but just decided, hey, let's do a React thing like testing JavaScript. And so, yeah, updated to testing JavaScript. And then the next year I created Epic React. And then during that year, that was 2020. So of course things shifted a little bit. Actually, from a business standpoint, worked out okay for me. I was doing remote workshops mostly anyway. And I was you know doing a, a self-paced course that people can buy online. Yeah, it worked out fine. For Ryan and Michael at React Training, it did not work out very well for them because they were doing mostly in-person trainings. And so when COVID hit and kind of destroyed their business, they decided they needed to figure out what to do. And so they started building Remix. And so through all of that, while I was building Epic React, Ryan kept on showing me the stuff that he was doing with Remix with Michael. And every other week or so, we'd have just an hour or two conversation about stuff that they were doing. I would give feedback and he would just like in excitement, show me the stuff that he was doing. And, and I would like cheerlead him and occasionally provide a little pushback on some ideas and stuff like that. And so by the time Epic React was launched in the very end of September, I think, and then Remix was released at the end of October as like a developer preview thing. I decided like, hey, I'm super into this. And so I sort of played around with it a little bit. And then early the next year, my plan was to create a testing TypeScript course and then update testing JavaScript to just be TypeScript and then update Epic React to be TypeScript. That was the plan. And so before doing all of that, I wanted to make sure that I had some actual experience with TypeScript at 
like a reasonable scale, also with React and some of the new features. So fun fact, before my website, which is like a pretty big scoped website, but before that, I had actually never shipped a React hook to production, even though I created Epic React and all of that, because React hooks were not stable until after I left PayPal. And so, yeah, I wasn't very public about the fact that I'd never actually shipped the hooks to production before. People have since followed my advice and it's turned out very well for them. So don't worry, Epic React is like solid. But <laughs> It's epic, as we may say. Yes, yes. So <laughs> that was a big motivation for me was I want to build a really solid, big application with React, with all these new features in React. And so that was my website. I said, my website, it's pretty cool. Like it's got podcasts and it's got blog posts and stuff. But I decided to rewrite it using Remix because of course I'm going to use Remix. I was very impressed with it. And then I wanted to just make it bigger scale and do more. And so I was blown away by how productive I was with Remix. And there, unfortunately, I decided I didn't want to teach anything but Remix. And so the idea of putting together a TypeScript course and updating testing JavaScript and Epic React was just not appealing to me anymore. I didn't want to do that because I just wanted to teach people Remix. And ultimately, I think most people are coming to me trying to learn how to build really great web applications. And so if I taught anything but Remix, then I'm not teaching like the best way to build web applications, in my opinion. And so it ends up working out for everybody. But yeah, I was just like, I, I'm not going to make a TypeScript course. I'm not going to do testing JavaScript. I just want to do Epic React. And so in talking with Ryan, because at the time, Remix was a paid thing. You had to get a license. And I was like, I don't know if I can do a Remix thing if people have to pay for it. Like, I'm just, it doesn't make sense because the target audience is just too small because you immediately get rid of all the people who are going to have to pay for it. And I kind of liked that it was paid software because the more users you get, the more money you have to make the software better. Whereas in like open source, the more users you get, the more buried you are by their issues. And so like there's a conflict there. But at the same time, I was just like, I'm not sure how this is going to work. And eventually Ryan told me, hey, we're going to actually make this open source. So we're going to figure out a different way to make money. And so I was like, sweet, that sounds great. And then it was around October of 2021 that Ryan said, hey, listen, how about you? you just come and work at Remix and you can do all of the education stuff you wanted and you can be in charge of like how we teach Remix at Remix. And I said, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. And so I joined up and they made me a co-founder and I joined up like two weeks before we went open source. So I had a lot of work to do because I'm in charge of stuff like marketing too and community management and just developer experience in general. And so, yeah, that's the long story of how I got involved in Remix. And yeah, I'm super happy to be here. I love it. Yes, yeah, on the marketing side, you're getting a lot of shout outs in the chat. <laughs> thank the you. The marketing and branding yeah. for Remix yeah. as a whole is really nice. Yeah, thank you. It is the original logo. Ryan built that. The theme, I'm not sure whether it was Ryan or Michael that came up with that. They're both very musical and very 90s kids. And so I'm like five or six years younger than those two. And so I'm a little bit behind on the music stuff. Also, I was musical, but like I was in choir. I wasn't in a band like they were. So I'm not allowed to make decisions on what we call things because it's got to stay on theme and I'm just not well versed in that. But yeah, the theme is really great. Like that retro 90s feeling like this neon looking sign that I've got behind me is just so cool. 
So yeah, it's, it's easy to brand and I don't do any of the design either. We have a designer who like keeps us on theme and has like really cool designs for stuff, but I do definitely take advantage of the theme that we've got for sure. <laughs> and maybe we'll probably get into this a little bit, but the remix stacks, is that what they're called? Is that right? Yes. Those are at least the big ones that I've seen are all like music related also. Yes. Yeah. So actually I can just talk about that really quick and we can dive in deep, but just as far as the naming is concerned, originally we were thinking, let's call this one, the fly stack and this one, the AWS stack, but that didn't work out because we have two stacks that deploy to fly. And it's not just about where it deploys. It's like all the other tools that are included there. And so that's why we said, well, there's no one name, like a descriptive name that we can give these things. So let's give it something completely non-descriptive. So music subgenres, that was either Michael or Ryan's idea. And and then they gave me the subgenres. Again, I'm not allowed to come up with names for stuff. (laughs) So they told me what they're called. (laughs) It is just such a super fun thing. I feel like from a marketing perspective, everything gets better when it's more relatable and it's not Mm. sterile. It's not just here's what it is. It's like, here's something fun that we're going to associate with it. So I'm a big fan of that. One of the things that you said stuck out to me, and I get asked a lot, like, well, how do I create so much content? How do I balance all the different things I do, which I'm sure people ask you similar questions. And my answer is always, I just try my best to only do things that I'm excited about, like truly Mm -hmm. excited about, especially with YouTube videos, have stuff that doesn't do as well. But that's the thing that I was excited to share that week or that day. And you kind of called it out for yourself of you've had wild success with doing Epic React and testing and all these things that you've done. Probably everybody or a lot of people that listen to this are aware of them already. But then your ability to say like, what I thought I wanted to do next no longer is the thing I want to do next. Like I'm excited about Remix. And like one, what a great place to be to have the ability to pivot and then find like full-time effort to do that. But I just really wanted to call out and appreciate the follow the thing that you're passionate about. That may change on any given day. It may change in any given year or months or however long it is. But just make sure that you're investing energy into the things that you really want to do. Absolutely. So there was a tweet from Adam Wathen from Tailwind a while ago where he said his business model is basically do what he wants and hopefully people will pay for it. (laughs) Uh, And that is exactly what I do. 100%. I will sometimes do like a Twitter poll and say, would you rather a workshop on this or that stuff like that? But in no way does that Twitter poll control what I do. (laughs) I'm just interested. I'm just curious what people are looking at. Because yeah, I'm 100% like I do what I want. And it just so happens that what I want is like something that can be lucrative. If it weren't like if it couldn't be lucrative, then no, I wouldn't just do what I want, right? Because I've got four kids and a wife and we've got to take care of them. My wife is full time mom. So I make the money in this house. So I do have to take care of them. But given that what I want to do also can make me money, then I'm just going to do what I want. That's right. Well, passion shows through in that. If you're talking about something you're not interested in, people aren't going to be interested in it either. Yeah. You can't fake that. Totally. And it's funny to me when people ask me questions that are about my passion without asking me about my passion. Like, so people say, Hey, Kent, should I use Next.js or Remix? And I'm like, why? What? (laughs) Like, what do you think I'm going to say? Like, if the answer to that question was Next.js, then I'd be working at Vercel. (laughs) Yeah, I try to be a very genuine and transparent person. I even have on my website, you can go to kenciedodds.com slash transparency, where I talk about like what the mission of my company is, where I make my money. Like I've got a table of all of my sources of income. I'm not going to tell you how much I make because that is too much of a privacy thing. But 
I will tell you what percentage of my income each one of these things is. I tell you what stock I invest in and all of that stuff. And no, I am not invested in future motion with the one wheel. Like I just like it and it's okay to just like things and not have some sort of financial incentive tied to it. So yes, I do have a financial incentive tied to Remix because I have ownership of the company. But just look at my talks that I was giving before I joined Remix. If you're really concerned about there being some weird financial incentive thing. I joined Remix because I think it's amazing. I don't think it's amazing because I work at Remix. I love that. Like developer relations is always, you hear the buzzwords of what's important. It's earning trust and it's authenticity and it's being genuine. And that starts from a place of being excited about the thing that you're working on. Um, I'm going to give a quick shout out. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole yet because it's a big one and it's probably a very popular one. But Remix did do, and I'll put the link in the chat for people that are watching live, an article of Remix versus Next. And again, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole yet, but I will say, I think that was one of the most impressive articles of a company doing a comparison in a very respectful way. Because it's always a dangerous thing to say, I'm better than you and you suck and blah, blah, blah. And that's not what happened at all. This was the most informative read. I mean, it stands out to me as a blog post just on its own, regardless of anything else. So Mm -hmm. that's a really good one that I think people should read if they're interested. Yeah, bravo to Ryan for that Mm -hmm. one. And actually a lot of the team. So I built or I helped with the migration from the next app to the Remix one. And Jacob built the app from scratch. Logan also helped with migration. So yeah, there were several of us who contributed in that. But Ryan is the mastermind behind the idea and writing it and the analysis. He did a great Mm -hmm. job. Yeah, so good. One of the best articles for so many different reasons that I've ever read. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but Smashing just dropped one too. Oh, did they? Next first Remix. Smashing Mag? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Facundo actually wrote that. Oh, and, cool. Uh, he's great. Love him. Yeah, that's awesome. I got to meet him in person for the first time at RemixConf and then at Render after that. Yeah, love that guy. I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about Hashnode. So Hashnode makes it easy to start a blog in seconds on your own custom domain for free. It's fully optimized for developers and supports writing in Markdown, rich embeds, publishing from a GitHub repository, syntax highlighting, and edge caching with Next.js blogs deployed on Vercel. On top of this, your article gets instant readership from the growing community. James and I have talked before on the podcast about how valuable creating content is and how developing an online presence really does give you respect and credibility in the tech space. And really, there's no better way to do that than through Hashnode. So be sure to go to hashnode.com and join the community. Special thanks to Hashnode for being a compressed FM sponsor. So we've talked about Remix a ton. Maybe we should have let off with this a little bit. So thinking about the kind of focus being building better websites, like what's the high level about Remix? And then what's the slightly less high level of like where these best practices and the better part comes into you actually building websites with Remix? Yeah. Okay. So Remix is a web framework. It's probably good to establish that for folks. It is not a React framework. It does use React currently, but very soon you'll be able to use Remix with other UI libraries. Oh, wait, what? Can we pause there? Is this? Sure. Yeah. No, this isn't news. Yeah, we've been it's news to me. Yeah, well, there you go. So <laughs> announcement time. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we had a blog post a couple weeks ago called Remixing React Router, where we're taking a lot of the features from Remix and bringing them into React Router, like loaders, actions, like all that stuff and error boundaries, stuff like that. Even deferred. So like suspense for data fetching, that stuff too, which is pretty sweet. So that blog post could also be titled Unreacting 
remix or creating remix router, because what we're effectively doing is we're rewriting React router in a non-breaking way to be an adapter for remix router. That's effectively what's happening. I don't think that when we come out with the initial release, that is not what it's going to be, but it, ultimately there will be a remix router and then the React router will be an adapter for a remix router. Once we have that, then we're going to make a view router that is an adapter for view and a preact router adapter for preact. And we're going to stop there. People can build their own on top of that. I mean, maybe who knows, like it could be that we're like, oh man, solid JS, it's the bomb. Let's go do solid router or whatever. But yeah, once we've got that, then yeah, you can totally use remix with these other frameworks and that'd be awesome. And you get all benefits. I think the default for Remix will probably remain React because React can do things that other frameworks can't in at least in, in the near future. So like we, we can't switch over to Vue as the default because Vue doesn't support streaming and at least with the deferred API that we have with Remix. And then time slicing with React is actually a lot cooler than you think. So a lot of these frameworks that are like partial hydration is great because you load the page and then you start scrolling and get jank if you're hydrating when you're scrolling. Well, if you do things right with time slicing, you won't get that jank, even though it's during hydration and stuff. So I think React will probably remain the default in the foreseeable future. But if we can handle the use cases that we have for user experience, then yeah, we may even change the default in the future. But React is still like three times more widely used than all the rest. So it's like... Yeah. But yeah, that is a thing that is like really soon. Like we've already have people who have implemented a Svelte router and an Angular router on top of our pre-releases. So yeah, that's a thing. I love it. Amy and I are both big fans of Svelte also. So being able to tie that together is really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So anyway, yeah, it is a web framework, not a React framework. We care less about the UI library, I think. We're mostly interested in the use cases and making things really web focused and great for user experience. So user experience is paramount for us. And then developer experience, because it's a input into the user experience, that's also important for us, but only like really insofar as it's an input to the user experience. The developer experience is also really, really good. You can build an entire web application, full stack web app, without thinking about URLs for like where you're posting data to the back end and stuff, because you write your front end and back end code in the same file. And this is like outrageously awesome. And just yesterday we released a new version, a patch actually, that added the ability, it actually should have been a minor, now that I think about it, because it's a new feature. (laughs) (laughs) But you can now have TypeScript uh, do type inference across the network chasm. So from your backend code to your front end code. So front to back, type safety, And it's amazing. It really is awesome. So the developer experience is really, really great. It is, again, full stack app. And so it's server rendered. It is really, really fast. In fact, we had one of our engineers, Jacob, put together an example with Bun, uh, the new JS runtime, running Remix in a Docker container and deployed to fly. And we would get response times in like 20 milliseconds for those requests. Like you load the page, you transition to a different page, all of that, any request, you make a post request to update data or whatever, all of that 20 millisecond, <laughs> like it's nuts how fast this stuff can be. And like, even without Bun, we also had another demo on Cloudflare because Remix runs anywhere. Anywhere you can have JavaScript, you can run Remix. And so we had a demo on Cloudflare. I got one response in 19 milliseconds, uncached. 
it's, it just blows my mind how fast this stuff can be. Now, of course, not all of your stuff even needs to be that fast. But the nice thing about having something that is that fast is that you can handle more traffic with fewer resources. And so that is pretty significant. So anyway, Remix also a big piece of it is the web platform. And so each one of these serverless environments or these web, I don't know, like frameworks like Express or Fastly or whatever, or Fastify, I get Fastly and Fastify mixed up. But whichever, uh, yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah whichever one of the <laughs> node server, they have their own. And actually the CDN also has an edge runtime as well. So yeah, relevant to both. Cloudflare, Vercel, Netlify, they all have their own request response API. Remix has adapters for these and will normalize them all to the web fetch API. And so all of your code is just interacting with request response from WebFetch. So a lot of people like that because they spend more time on MDN than they do in the Remix docs, mm -hmm. which I think is really awesome. You get transferable skills. It's not just a new framework you got to learn. It's a web platform that you got to learn, which you can take with you anywhere you go. So that's another one of the pillars of Remix is just its focus on the web platform. Another one is nested layout UI, whatever you want to call it. So the way the reason that I'm being so specific here is that you have file-based nested routing, which Next and Gatsby have had for a long time, and Remix also has a convention for this. But then you have layout nested routing, which Remix of these frameworks is the only one that supports this. And before somebody comes at me in the comments, yes, I know that Next has announced that they're going to have this at some point in the future, but it will not be a free upgrade. It is an opt-in feature that you'll have to migrate to and who knows when it will be released. So they don't get credit for it because it's not out yet. <laughs> but what's really cool about nested routing is that like take a scenario where you've got a big app and lots of routes. Let's say that you want to server render the user's profile page or, the, or that's what you've started. So their profile avatar in the top. And then later on down the road, you decide, oh, shoot, we also need their name so that when they hover over it, we get like the title there and it's accessible and whatever else. So now you have to get more data to get that to server render. In a Next or Gatsby world, the way that you built that was you had a layout component that you render on every single one of your routes that has that avatar and you're passing data to it. So every one of those routes has also got this function that does getting the server data, right? And passing that on to the layout route or to the layout component. So now you have to go to every one of your routes to go and add that additional data you need to get so you can pass it along to the layout thing. Now, of course, you can have functions and reuse that stuff. But in my experience, that is not a very fun thing to do. And so what typically is going to happen is you just decide, how about we just, you know, make this request on the client instead? And then also what both Gatsby and Next say is you don't want to server render anyway. You just want to do SSG so you can get ISR and you can get DSR or whatever, all of these random acronyms that they're inventing. So instead, we'll just like load all of this stuff on the client. We'll just render a fallback of the, like this fancy pulsing thing until we get the user's information. And so this is not a great user experience at all. It would be much better if the HTML that I get from the server response is just like got all of my stuff and it's fast. And so with Remix and nested routing, what you can do is because it's all server rendered, you have your root route that's responsible for the shell of the application. And that root route has a loader associated to it that can get all of its data and it sends it right to the UI. And then all the other routes are inside, nested inside of this other route. And so none of the other routes actually care about the parent at all. And so for that, what that means is that you can have a team that's responsible for the, the header and footer 
and they don't have to even talk to the teams that are responsible for the rest of the app. This is really a hugely beneficial feature, not just for big teams with big projects, but also for like solo indie teams where it's just like this one developer working on it. They don't have to think about like all the other routes that need this data. So yeah, I could talk about nested routing for days, but it is another huge feature of Remix. We also have really awesome features around getting CSS onto the page and managing all of that and getting it off of the page so that you can actually embrace the cascade of CSS. Of course, everybody's just using Tailwind anyway. So <laughs> that's what I use. I love Tailwind. But, but Big yeah, fans of Tailwind here too. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. But yeah, you totally can just do regular CSS and it's actually tenable. And then, yeah, we've got our own built-in compiler that's like lightning fast. You get 100 milliseconds of build time. It's amazing what we have these days. So lots of really cool things about Remix. But the thing that makes it really special is that we take that network waterfall that we're all used to and we make the bars shorter and we make them all scrunched over to the left. And so your apps are way faster and the developer experience for that is also really great. So many big points in there. One of the ones I want to go back to is embracing the web platform. This has been my biggest thing to latch onto. And I would argue because of this, in a really weird way, there's like more learning to get on to Remix than other platforms because you have to understand you're having to go back and understand some of the basics that we have been abstracted away from for years now, which mm-hmm. makes it such a cool opportunity as you get started to take your time and try to learn. And I've got a good story, I think, from my experience of using Remix. Is it was like either the request or the response object and one of the things that I was looking at. And I didn't quite click with me that this is based on web standard request response type thing that I could go and look at the documentation on MDN. And I didn't see exactly what I was looking for. I think what I wanted to do was respond back with JSON and a status, so an HTTP status. And I didn't see that in the examples because I wanted to say, like, if I return an error as the JSON, give back a 400, 401, 500, whatever. I didn't see the example of Remix. So in my mind, I'm trying to find out the Remix-specific way to do this without realizing that I can go to MDN and now I have the documentation for that thing and now I can just use that. Mm -hmm. So that is a really cool thing. But there is... I would say like a learning curve for that, but a really beneficial learning curve for anyone involved because you get those fundamentals. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like, let's say that, I don't know, this is probably a bad metaphor, but you're a baby, so you don't know how to walk yet. And we're trying to, we're like, hey, here, look at this thing where you can run and it's amazing. And the baby's like, well, shoot, I sure wish I could do that but I have to learn to walk first. Like, oh, brother, I have to learn to walk. But then like walking is actually really useful for like other things that you can do. (laughs) And so even though understanding the web is a prerequisite for being able to use Remix effectively, it's actually a really beneficial prerequisite for sure. Well, and it makes it feel like Remix is going to last longer because you Mm. focus more on the web instead of trying to figure out the latest and greatest way to abstract something. Yes, yes, absolutely. I was talking earlier about ISR and SSG and things. The web actually has had support for these use cases for an exceedingly long time. So ISR is basically like stale while revalidate, which is a directive that you can give on the cache header and CDNs understand, not all CDNs, but many CDNs understand this. So like, I'm concerned that we're re-implementing in JavaScript in vendor-specific ways, something that the web platform actually already has solutions for. I think that you're much better off just relying on the web platform. And a lot of people are kind of 
surprised to hear use the platform from React developers because that was always <laughs> like a jab at React developers, like use the platform, don't use React. But I don't know of any other framework that enables you to use the platform at scale as well as Remix. Remix just really, it, rather than taking the platform and wrapping it with these APIs, Remix takes the platform and exposes these exposes, APIs. Yeah. And just, yeah. And yes, there's definitely some longevity there for sure. The caching piece is really eye-opening for me. The idea of like you mentioned all the acronyms, right? And the fact that that sort of functionality has been there and I had no idea. I know very little about hands-on how caching actually works. And this mm -hmm. has been an opportunity for me, again, a learning curve. It, it didn't have to necessarily be a learning curve, but a beneficial learning curve. Like I'm going to take the time to really dive in and see how this stuff works. There was a video, I watched a few from Ryan Florence on YouTube, but one of them was for a newsletter sign up thing. Mm -hmm. So that was a great intro for me. It's a couple years old, but still completely relevant. And then there was one for caching and how he just built his own caching, how you would get something like ISR with just regular HTML pages in the server, like responding with cache headers and stuff. And that was fascinating because I didn't realize those are things that are just built in. They're just there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, next week, probably, or maybe the week after, we're going to be releasing an update to the React Router docs. And that is implemented with all of this stale while revalidate stuff that we're talking about. And it takes just a little while to warm up the cache all over the world because, you know, Fastly is everywhere all over the world. But once you get that warmed up, you're going to see some really outrageous performance times on all of that. And then like we can deploy a new version of uh, React Router and very quickly all of the pages get up to date. And in fact, you'll be able to look at old versions of React Router and the docs for old versions. And all of that will, if it's not already built, it'll be generated on demand and then it'll be cached for a long time. And this is the really nice benefit of using the platform over using something like ISR is because it's basically like a build server that's like long running. And so it'll just build pages on demand. And so when I was at PayPal, we were building paypal.me and we evaluated using Gatsby, but very quickly realized that just wouldn't work because we've got millions of users. There's no way you can build millions of pages in any sensible way, right? You want to build those on demand and then cache them when they're built. And so we just went with what we typically were doing, which is basically we'd server render a shell and then, you know, client render a React app, which also is not good, but it worked. Like we could do all the SEO and whatever we needed to with meta tags and stuff. That was like some of the constraints we had. If I had Remix at PayPal, it would have been so, so nice. But yeah, so by using the platform, you can get all of the use cases of SSG without the limitations of like the small box that they put you in with regard to the scale of the app that you're building. I was going to make a self-deprecating comment. James oh, no. and I have this inside joke about SSG and SSR. Mm. I'm not allowed to talk about them on the podcast. <laughs> because, because they I get can, so confusing. <laughs> I get so confused with the acronyms. I know what they are, but I get them mixed up and exactly what they stand for? Well, so I, I don't know if this is going to help or if this will make it worse, but I actually think of SSG as spinner site generation. <laughs> <laughs> that works well with the remix, you know, CD or record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe this is more complicated because SSG is the one we don't like because Ultimately, what SSG means is you generate it beforehand. And so any dynamic data that's like user specific cannot go into your generated thing. And so all of those things have to be spinners. And so like maybe you start out and you're like, well, this is totally static. It's just my blog or whatever. 
that's great. That's fine. There are cache headers for that. You can totally use cache headers and that works fine. But if you're like, why would I use cache headers? I can build it in front ahead of time and just put it on a CDN. Okay, fine. I actually don't care about your blog, build your blog however you want. But eventually in a real app that like makes money or something, you're going to need some user specific data that like product is going to come and they're going to say, well, you know, I know it's just our homepage, but if the user's logged in, I want to have like a different something at the top of the page, like anything. Uh, Okay, well now, because we chose SSG, we have to have a loading spinner there. And that's why SSG is spinner site generation. Eventually, you will generate a spinner on that site. That's a good way of thinking about it. (laughs) Also a very entertaining way to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So there's a couple of questions I wanted to send to you. I'm not quite sure I fully understand this one, but maybe we could talk it out together. But Coding Cat Dev is asking, how do you handle a database in the US and someone hitting your app in the East? SSR server-side rendering from east to west, back to east. This is actually, interestingly, a video that I just recorded on like moving your data closer to your user. But yeah, so I don't know if that was enough for you to answer, to talk on yeah, this yeah, like, database totally. impact of like geographically where it's located versus where requests are coming from. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't just recently have a job change, it'd be like long drive for you. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, and that's what I was recording the video for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the whole premise of Planet Scale, honestly. Mm-hmm. But even before that, let's talk about what if that's the world that you live in. You put your data center in US East and you're going like from India to get to US East, okay? So um, for one, let's imagine the scenario where you do need that data, right? You probably do. Most apps are going to need to talk to a database at some point. So let's assume that's a given. We have to read that data. So I don't understand how a user server rendering the app, having to go around the world to server render the app and send that back, is any better than the CDNs showing them some loading spinners and then having to go around the world to get the data and send it back. Like it's maybe a tiny bit better because now at least the user is seeing something that's like branded for you or whatever, maybe a little bit, but now you've got content layout shift and that's also not great. So we just have to first acknowledge the fact that if your data center is there, your user has to get there somehow, like it's gotta happen. So here's the other thing. If you do it with a good infrastructure, which I think most infra providers do this, your user isn't going to go on their network connection all the way around the world to get to that data center. They're going to come to the closest node that your data provider has in that region, and they will go on that network, which will be very fast. And so even in that scenario, yeah, you're not like 3G downloading this stuff the entire way. Your 3G download is just like between the user and the closest node. Hopefully, that depends highly on the way the infrastructure is set up. Fly.io is one example. That's the one I use. They do not pay me. I do like their <laughs> whatever, but that's the one I use. And that's the way that theirs works is you just get to the node that's closest to you and then it goes on that network. So all of that said, if this is a really big concern for you, then yes, you should co-locate your data to your users as closely as possible and deploy your app in all of those regions. And this is something that you can't, that only a few infra providers currently offer. So this is why I chose Fly for deploying my app because I'm in multiple regions all over the world. They support Postgres clusters with read replicas all over the world. And so my data is co-located with my apps Anywhere you are in the world, you're getting a response within 200 milliseconds or maybe 300. 
And this is only because I have very suboptimal database queries and stuff in place that were totally my fault. Like one example is I decided to put sessions in a database. And so that means every time you make a request, I have to go check the database to get your session. Like I've got a bunch of suboptimal things, but This also means that you can sign out of all sessions, which is pretty cool. You can't do that without putting the session in the database, but trade-offs, right? In any case, like 200 milliseconds is pretty dang fast and being able to server render all of that also. So yes, if this is a big concern for you, then co-locate your data, co-locate your node servers. We've got edge computing now. You can cache things, all of that stuff. The important thing is that you want to have the levers. You want to be able to make these choices and if you decide we're going to go with SSG here because we want to send this onto a CDN, then you're making a choice that is making it impossible for you to do to make these other choices without having to backtrack a bunch of stuff and change it to SSR. So start with SSR, have all the benefits of SSG with cache headers, and then you can make things more dynamic as the requirements change, which they will. I could definitely have the pros and cons of like session versus JWT's conversation (laughs) about like performance. That would be a fun one. The one thing I'll add, Amy, before you go for the next question is what it comes down to, like that whole question is speed of light problem is real. Things are so good that we often forget. There's actually time that it takes for data to travel from one place in the world to another. And the further apart those two things are, the longer that process takes. And so the more you can co-locate and optimize where your request goes edge and database replication, all this stuff just gives you so many of those levers that you can tweak with. But it does come with that, like having to understand the implications to know which one of these levers to pull. It's a fun world. It's a like overwhelming world of things to potentially understand, but it's super fun. Mm -hmm. I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about daily.dev. First, I think we all recognize how hard it is to stay up to date with the latest and greatest within the tech community. But there are resources like daily.dev that provide a community-based feed of the best developer news, helping you stay current. Daily.dev aggregates hundreds of sources every few minutes and creates a personalized feed just for you according to your interests. So whether that's web dev, data science, or Elixir, anything you might be interested in, it has content for you. There is a web version of the product if you want to see exactly what the feed looks like. Otherwise, just go over to daily.dev and there's a link directly on the homepage to install their extension within your browser. From there, anytime you want to load a new tab, you'll see the news feed. James and I both have it installed and use it to stay current ourselves and so should you. So go check it out at daily.dev. Special thanks to daily.dev for being a Compressed FM sponsor. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit move from the back end to the front end. So I'm excited about a little bit of hot drama here. (laughs) Danny Thompson, so I'll share his comment, said, what do you say to people that have hate for Tailwind CSS? What are some major points that you bring up? Hey, Danny, it's so good to see you. Danny also rocks. I like Danny a lot. Yeah, so for some reason, people really don't like Tailwind. Some people. Initially, I wasn't like super into it. And at the time, I was still really into CSS and JS. CSS and JS, like I'll just say it, it is not the best answer to CSS that we have in modern times. It is not a bad solution necessarily. And I still think if you've got an app that's running CSS and JS, just keep it going. You probably have other priorities that are more important than migrating to Tailwind or something. But that said, I think Tailwind is better for the user experience. It absolutely is. The cool thing about Tailwind is that like it plateaus, like you cannot get more CSS than a certain amount. 
and that amount, like in practical applications, this is going to be six to 10 kilobytes of CSS. I would be ashamed to tell you how much CSS we had at PayPal and 90% of it was unused. Even after like clicking stuff, opening modals, doing all the things, I would look at the coverage report and yep, 90% unused CSS. Yeah, I mean, this was before CSS and JS where we had like just a bunch of CSS files all concatenated together. But Tailwind, yeah, plateaus. So it doesn't suffer from that same problem. The biggest thing that people don't like about Tailwind is the class names, like how long those things get. And this one is confusing to me <laughs> because most of us are writing components, right? So we got some sort of JavaScript here. We've got like an, a programming language. And so we could just take that long thing and put it into a variable and you need to reuse stuff. You, like we got functions and whatnot. Like we can interpolate classic. The composability story of Tailwind is not the best necessarily so like you put multiple class names in that conflict and yeah it is not deterministic or maybe it's deterministic but it's not like sensible what is going to win in those scenarios but in practice i've never really had problems with that i'll just you know if i want to have a button and i have like a couple sizes i don't apply all those class names i just you know have this object that has here are my options and select the one that works like only apply the class names that i want I think that's actually pretty reasonable to do. That's never been a problem for me. So yeah, what do you say to people who hate Tailwind? <sighs> I don't know. Like <laughs> I have done it all. I've done everything you can do with CSS. I've done all the things. I even built a Tailwind with Stylus. You know, my own little P dash and M dash. You know, I think mine was T dash for the text size or something like that. But like I did all the utility classes and I loved it. And I don't know why I stopped doing that. And so I'm super happy that Tailwind came over and did it way better. And yeah, I don't know, man. Sorry, Danny. This is a non-answer, but like... I think the answer is definitely there. I think it's all of it. Like, I think you actually nailed it. Because the big problem that people have is like the bloat, right? And that's the one pushback I would have with the idea of breaking things components is just from a getting started perspective. Like most of the stuff that people are using Tailwind for, or a lot of it is like people are following tutorials. They're doing it for the first time. And so you're not necessarily breaking out each different thing into their own component because you're not thinking about scale. You're not thinking about building stuff out. So people that are just getting started are really seeing that bloat. And I think it's much more like, quote unquote, real. But the reality is exactly what you said. You start to break that stuff up into its own components. You're reusing the CSS classes by them just living in that individual component and using that component in other places. So yeah, I actually think you did a fantastic job of responding <laughs> to that. One of the deciding factors for me was Adam even says in the documentation, when you first look at it, it makes you want to throw up in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And that was like the line that he uses. The first time I saw it, I was like, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. just that piece of validation that he had directly from the documentation. I was like, okay, this might be worth trying. And it really is just committing to it for one project. And they're like, oh, this makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you use it? But it's just getting over that initial shock of this yeah. is not what I was originally taught. <laughs> Totally. Well, and Danny actually mentioned that he said the reason he asked is because he had a TikTok and people came back, said his, the comments showed that they never actually used it before. And that's exactly it. Like I wasn't super into it until I actually used it. I only barely decided to use Tailwind in my own site because I hired somebody to help me implement designs and they were really familiar with Tailwind. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, sure. Let's just do that. I actually planned on backing out of Tailwind after the site was launched just like taking the stuff that I saw and just doing regular CSS or something. But after using it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I love this thing. 
And then the other thing is, he says that the most common comment was, this is just like using inline CSS. That is another comment that illustrates they do not know what they're talking about. They have not used it because it's nothing like that. For one, just because the reusability aspects and the fact that it supports media queries and pseudo states and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> this is nothing like inline CSS. So yeah, if you want to convince somebody to like Tailwind, then you've got to convince them to just use it in a project because once they do, I'm sure that there are people who've used it and still don't like it, but most people at least understand why other people like it when they do that. I think that seems like a fair statement after seeing lots of people have reservations going into it and then being like, oh, yep, I like it. So yeah, if anybody listening is hesitant about it, give it a shot and then make your own opinion from there. Mm. We are close to wrapping up. One of the questions I want to get in before we go, though, is from Sean Day about what are the downsides of Remix? And this is a fun conversation for me, not to just put you on the spot, but I think there's always trade-offs and things for people to consider. And oftentimes those get overlooked. So are there any particular things about Remix that, that people should know that they may not going into it? Yeah, great question. So I will start this by saying I am super not biased, obviously. Like I cannot be unbiased <laughs> because I have ownership in the company and all of that. Hopefully I have shown through my history of just being me that I'm a typically genuine person. I'm not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. And I have not been reserved in saying that I cannot think of a single way to build a web application that would be better served by anything other than Remix. So you may be building something that can't take advantage of some of the things that Remix has to offer, like streaming or nested routing or various other things. But I would be surprised if you could find something else that would serve you better. So yes, there are some things, and actually, you know what? There's one, we do not support HMR currently, but we do have plans to add support for that in one way or another. We do not support CSS modules currently or vanilla extract. So there are some of those sorts of developer experience things. And eventually we'll figure out ways to support that, that in a, a great way. And especially when we have Remix Router, you could actually build your own your own Remix out of that. So yeah, once we have Remix Router, then it's like, what is Remix now? And in fact, once we have Remix Router, then we can count downloads by Remix Router and React Router will use Remix Router. And now you look at the download numbers and <laughs> Remix is very widely used. But yeah, and, and that's another criticism. People are like, well, it's just, it's new. It's totally mm -hmm. not new. Remix is based on React Router and that's eight years old. But yeah, I can't think of another framework you could use that could serve the user better than Remix. They're just, that's it. So there are a couple of those DX rough edges from the you know HMR, CSS modules, that standpoint, those will be solved eventually. But yeah, and we're actively working on solving those right now. But like, if you care about the user experience, yeah, Remix is the thing. It's time, friends. We found it. Here it <laughs> is. Use Remix. It's amazing. I think that's totally fair. Also, because like we talked about earlier, developer relations, developer advocates are just evangelism. Like the first and foremost idea is earning trust and being genuine with people. And I doubt there's anybody that has any awareness of the stuff that you've done that would be skeptical of you like selling and not being upfront and honest. So yeah, I have 100% confidence that comes from exactly the place that you said it did of just truly believing in it and being excited about it, including like the small things that you said, like that, that still takes transparency to say like these are things we don't have while also then just believing in the product and what you're doing and that I have a lot of respect for. 
No, thank you very much. If I didn't believe this, then I probably would be somewhere else. I, mm-hmm. I'd be at the other framework that's best. And, and you know, a lot of times the frameworks will say, well, we're really good for these use cases. We're not as good for these ones. And so, yeah, I could see that if that were the case for Remix, then yeah, I could still be at Remix and just say, oh, we're not good for these use cases. But I'm sorry that I can't think, uh, even if you're building a game, like Remix doesn't have stuff for like your canvas and whatever else. Like you can't server render a canvas. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can server render a canvas element, but you can't server render the contents of a canvas. But even then, what else are you going to use? That would be better. There's nothing. So people will sometimes say, well, you wouldn't build Figma with Remix. Why not? What else (laughs) are you going to use? Yeah. So Remix is very well suited for your small app. I guess another one I'll say is a lot of people are like, well, I want to have a blog and it's like MDX and it's, you know, totally static. It's SSG. I don't want to worry about, you know, putting it up on some you know, anything but a CDN. And I respond with, well, I mean, what CDN are you going to use? Vercel or Netlify? Well, those have really great solutions for using Remix. So it's mm-hmm. not like you have to manage a server or anything. But if you just want static files, then yeah, sure. Go ahead and use Astro or whatever else. I don't care. It's your blog. I'm mostly interested in like the things that people are going to actively develop, they're going to maintain in the long term, they're going to make people money or at least make the world better in some way. Not to say that your blog doesn't do that, but... My blog definitely does that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like most people's blogs are not like mine. Mine's like a big site and it you know requires a lot of that. You know, I've got login and stuff and a podcast that like is generated in the browser, all this stuff. So there are maybe use cases that are easier to implement with other frameworks. And so, yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that as well, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Again, totally fair. Like I said, I think people, the more they hear from specific people, the more they trust or not. And I doubt anyone listening has a lack of trust for your opinion here. So I think it's all fair. Cool. I think that is all we have. Amy, anything you want to add before we wrap up? This has been delightful. Yeah. (laughs) I knew it would be. I knew it would be, but it met every single one of my expectations, if not exceeded it. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Amy. It's been delightful to visit with you also. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode. And the next live episode, we may have some rescheduling. I can't remember if this is updated or not, but I think we're going to have Catherine on from GitHub to talk with her. So that should be the next in-person interview one. I can't thank you so much for joining us. This is, we just said it, but this has been a ton of fun. Thanks everybody in the live chat, hanging out with us. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review to help other people find the podcast as well. And in the meantime, that's all we got.